Live. <laughs> Welcome to Bible Bitches. This is a podcast that weds feminism with theology and comedy over a couple of cocktails yeah. with some friends. It's uh, polyamory. <laughs> and we're in polyamory it. of discipline. <laughs> the sexiest polyamory. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a Sarah Hoff. I'm here with the one Laura Barclay, who Hello. is who's well known for her um, ability to start cults just <laughs> just at any point in time. Yes, if I were to start a cult, it would have the following things: goats, not for like weird reasons, just because I like goats. Just for yoga. Uh, just for yoga. Yeah, yoga. There'd be yoga. There would be goats. There would be a fine selection of scotch and bourbon. And uh, yeah, that's about it. No, but do you have that out there? Like there's this whole deal about... Goat yoga? Yeah, we have it. Okay. It's great. I haven't done it. it. Well, no, I haven't done it because I would just get distracted by the goats and be like, why the fuck am I doing yoga? (laughs) Yeah. Why am I not just like playing with an adorable baby goat? Right. Like, look at how cutely he he eats uh, some hay. I just be in the corner feeding it hay. You're like, I don't care about downward dog. I care about feeding goat. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody cares about downward dog. I am here with uh, a one Sarah Hop, whose favorite drink is a pickleback. (laughs) (laughs) Which, if you don't know, is a shot of bourbon and pickle juice. Yeah. Yeah, it's briny, briny like my personality. So <laughs> not, not easy to enjoy and uh, <laughs> kind of leaves you with regret in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, I almost said your favorite drink was Malort because the city where I'm at, uh, it's disgusting, right? The city I don't where know I'm what that is. Louisville? Oh, okay. So it is also known as a Chicago handshake. So you know it can't be good. Um, shout out to Chicago. I love Chicago, but so it's just a punch in the face. Yes, it actually. Uh, the marketing campaign is like, uh, Malort, because tonight's a good night to fight your father. Like, it's, <laughs> it's that, which is like the marketing campaign is on point. It it kind of makes you want to try it just because, but I, I got tricked into taking a shot of it on my birthday, and it tastes like, uh, it tastes like uh, vinegar and feet sweat. Yeah, I could see why that would make somebody angry. Yeah, I was so mad. I can still taste it in my mouth, and that was like a year and a half ago when I took it. <laughs> Since then, I've tricked other people into taking shots of Malort by, here's the trick, is you, is you tell them, do you want a Chicago handshake? And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, let me get you a shot. And then you work it out with a bartender to get a shot of water and a shot of Malort. And then you take the shot of water and they take the shot of Malort and you watch the horror on their face. <laughs> and I've done that. That's so mean. It is. But once you've had it done to you, then you do it to other people. Like that's the thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, what are we talking about today, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> I love the way that you say that because it's so, it's, it sounds so sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's so genuine though. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but when I hear it, it's like, so what are we talking about today, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
Like, like, like I'm a 70 year old professor. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> It's like, oh, Sarah, you sweet child. And then you like pinch my cheeks and I slap you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we should do more of that. <laughs> Speaking of violence, <laughs> today we're talking about Texts of Terror by nice Phyllis pivot. Triple. Huh? Nice pivot. <laughs> Thank you. It's what I do best, just pivoting. Mm-hmm. It, no, that's not a thing that Pivot. I do. Pivot. <laughs> Callback to Friends. Yes. Since 1998. Yeah. All, my, all my cultural references are at least two decades old. <laughs> Fair. Um, okay. Sorry. So, okay. So today we're going to talk about uh, Text of Terror by Phyllis Tribble. She is a pivotal, like, Christian feminist. Um, She wrote Texts of Terror in the 1970s, and um, it still, like, holds a lot of weight today. It's, I mean, it's a really interesting book. I recommend everybody read it. Um, In it, she addresses stories of women in the Old Old Testament and reexamines them from a feminist perspective. Um, I'm pretty sure she was the first person to argue that Eve was actually the first philosopher as Eve had the wherewithal to question God about the tree of evil um, instead of just sort of like accepting whatever God said was fact, right? Um, she's a super badass uh, and fingers crossed someday I'll be as smart as her. It's probably not going to happen though. Oh, I believe. I believe. <laughs> I think I think you're already as smart as her. I think it's just a question of knowledge because she's like, 90 so I don't know she's she's way more badass than I could ever be oh, I don't believe that for a second your nickname is brass knuckles <laughs> audience as as of five seconds ago my nickname <laughs> is brass knuckles I just gave you that nickname <laughs> um okay so Phyllis Tribble covers four different utterly terrifying stories from the Bible in this book, Texts of Terror, and she wrestles with them. Her writing and scholarship evokes important questions like, why are these stories in the Bible? How do they relate to women's stories? And are they redeeming? Should they be removed from the canon, etc.? And spoiler alert, I'm going to argue, no, I mean, I, I hate these stories, but like, i kind of don't think they should be removed because it reflects the reality of violence against women and how this has been a reality for millennia. And we need to face it and also kind of use it to preach uh, about the evils of, you know, the patriarchy. Stupid, what I do. stupid fucking patriarchy. Um, I, I'm not, I'm honestly like, I'm not sure where I stand with these texts. I'm conflicted and I I want to sort of talk more about that after we actually like go through them but I just it you know this this whole exercise for this particular podcast has really brought up some questions for me about Christian feminism um, and some things that I haven't been able to sort of like articulate yet but now I think I'm sort of like getting there like I'm getting to a place where I'm like I I think I can finally put words to my concerns. You know what I mean? This is definitely one of the episodes where I'm like really uh, jelly of the agnostic position because I, I, I don't like this and I don't know. So yeah, <laughs> I think I'm going to hang out. In your- <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I mean, you can be agnostic about some things and still be a Christian overall, I feel like. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, hey, you know what? Everybody can define their own labels. Great. My, right? my label is like... Brass knuckles. <laughs> Brass knuckles. <laughs> 100%. Um, But before we actually like dive in, I want everybody to know that some of the stories we talk about here are pretty graphic. They're pretty violent. There's some rape, there's some incest. And so just like as a a heads up, um, and we'll give you a heads up throughout to let you know, but um, you know, like, especially with the rape of Tamar, Tamar, we're going, it's, I mean, it gets, it gets graphic. So FYI. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll keep trying to give you trigger warnings, but, um, but yeah, this whole episode is going to be, going to be kind of harsh. Um, but that's the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. That's, that's what your kids are reading. I really, <laughs> they're not reading. Are they though? They're not. <laughs> they're not. They're not reading. Okay. Uh, so one of the stories that Tribble talks about is about Hagar And we wanted to note that we've already covered Hagar in episode seven of season one, which was called Sarah and Hagar, a horrifying handmaid's tale. So you can listen to that for more in-depth details, but the TLDR criminally short version is basically Hagar is a slave who is supposed to bear a child for Sarah and her husband, Abraham. But then Sarah becomes pregnant herself and eventually her husband, Abraham kicks Hagar and Hagar's son, Ishmael, out of the house. There is a lot of really good analysis on this, but our favorite is from Renita Weems in her book, Just a Sister Away, who relates it to the pain white women have caused black women as supporters of the white patriarchy. And it really conjures up images of how white women supported the Confederacy and slavery and how 53% of white women voted for Trump, a, statistics, a statistic that like I will never stop saying until white women do better. Like, please do better. Please. Please. We need to do better. You better. We just that's brass, that's brass knuckles talking to you right there. You I'm better. just saying. <laughs> I know what's up, okay? We've got a cult leader and brass knuckles. We got, <laughs> we know what's up. So we're telling you, do better. Anyways. Do better. <laughs> or else we'll get you. Um, so yeah, so this story of Hagar and Sarah, it's just it's too big it's too complex to retell in a few paragraphs so if you want to know more go back and check out that episode but for now for expedience sake we're going to move on to the next story involving (laughs) yep you guessed it an unnamed woman because i would say 95 to 98 percent of the women in the old testament are fucking unnamed in this case it's an unnamed daughter of jephthah a judge or like a ruler in israel and I swear to God, I swear to God, you know, if we just took out every instance of an unnamed woman in the Bible, it would it'd be like, it would take out like a quarter of the Bible. It would just say redacted. It would, it would. It would be like Judges 11, 11, redacted. Be like reading CIA files. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true. Um, so Jephthah, who is the son of, of Gilead and a prostitute, um, that Gilead had slept with, uh, is driven from his family's house by his brothers. 
who said to him, you shall not inherit anything in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman, meaning the prostitute. So Jephthah becomes the leader of a band of raiders, but Jephthah eventually is recruited to be the commander of the Israelite army in their war with the Ammonites, and he was made a judge or ruler in the negotiation process. So Jephthah tries negotiations with the Ammonites, but these negotiations fail. And so Jephthah makes this dumbass vow. If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whoever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return victorious from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's to be offered up by me as a burnt offering. You know, I gotta say, the God of the Old Testament is has no chill. Like, it's a douchebag God. I don't know. I kind of feel like God's like, oh, really? That's See, this really is what I'm saying. Like, no, no, no mercy. Um, so, <laughs> so this is what happens. Like, Jephthah defeats the Ammonites, and guess who comes out of his house first? Uh, his cute, I assume very cute, um, unnamed daughter. And he says... Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I've opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take my, back my vow. Uh, he, he's become the cause of great trouble. I know! Like, it's all on him. He did this. And he's trying to, like, I don't know, pivot it on, like, put it on her. That he's is, trying to pivot. That's like, that is, is this, like, the first instance, instance of gaslighting? Because, like, what the fuck? Oh my God, it might be. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jephthah, I don't like you at all. Get your shit uh, in order. Get your shit together. <laughs> so this unnamed daughter responds to him, my father, if you have opened your mouth to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has given you vengeance against your enemies, the Ammonites. And she says to her father, let this thing be done for me. Grant me two months so that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my companions and I. <laughs> okay. I hope she went on a bender and found like some hot dudes or ladies in those mountains to like get it on with because that she got the shit into that deal. Like, you know, okay. I'm just like, I wish that, I wish that he had been the one that died just because it was like, that was a dumb bet to make. And also like come out of his house. So like odds are that it's going to be a family member. What is right? he He's so selfish. Like he just wants glory. I felt like he just wants glory. Yeah. You know, like if he really cared, if he really cared as people enough to bet a fucking life on it, it should have been his own. Yeah. Fuck but you. Whatever. Fuck you, Jephthah. <laughs> um, so he says to her, go, and she goes. She goes away for two months. Um, and so she's gone. She's with her companions. She's bewailing her virginity on these mountains. And at the end of the two months, she returns to her father, who did with her according to the vow he had made. Um, she had never slept with a man. But it no. doesn't say that she never slept with a woman. Hey. <laughs> I mean, she goes with her companions. Like, I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> but like so from that um there arose like a israelite custom that for four days every year the daughters of israel would go out to lament the daughter of Jep- jephthah the gileadite and like you guys you guys laura laura yeah. 
Yes. Sarah. 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 Brass knuckles. That... <laughs> Why is it that the highlight of this narrative is that she never slept with a man? How is it not about the fact that her father made a deal with God and killed her because of it? Like, yeah. I mean, there, all of the all of the men in this story looked terrible, but somehow it's still about her being a virgin, her being pure, her acquiescing. It's all about her being a um, subjugated person. Yeah, I feel like the author of Judges buried the lead, but yeah. but like let's be honest, buried the lead because they were raging sexes. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean. All women are just like wormholes. To the author of Judges, yes. <laughs> and, and also like any, basically all the incels are just reading Judges. And they're like, yes. oh, I get it. I get it. all <laughs> of the incels. <laughs> um, yeah, so heads up, you guys. All jokes aside, um, this next story is pretty graphic so just trigger warning maybe skip ahead yeah oh and i just want to go back we totally got distracted but i I did want to say that phyllis tribble says about the daughter of jephthah though not a survivor she becomes an unmistakable symbol for all the courageous daughters of faithless fathers which let's just talk about that like that should be the that's that's the real story right that's that's what this story should be about that the father was a, a shithole so anyway Okay, on to Tamar. Um, so again, trigger warning. Uh, you're you're going to want to probably not uh, just just maybe skip to the end um, because it's start, starting to get rough. Um, so David, the second king of Israel, has a lot of kids. And in 2 Samuel 13, we get a window into their horrifying family violence and dysfunction. So Tamar, a woman, and Absalom... Uh, a man, our full brother and sister, okay? Uh, Amnon is their half-brother, and they share a biological father in King David. So Amnon was obsessed with his half-sister Tamar, but his friend, a real douchebag named Jonadab, which just that, yeah, that's Jonadab the douchebag, um, (laughs) suggests Amnon pretend to be sick and ask Tamar to bring him food. So Amnon does this, And when his father, King David, checks in on him, Amnon asked King David to bring his sister Tamar to care for him. Yeah, so David sends Tamar over to Amnon's house. And after she makes him some food, he grabs her and says, come, lie with me, my sister. And Tamar responds, no, my brother, do not force me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do anything so vile. As for me... Where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the scoundrels in Israel. Now, therefore, I beg you, speak to the king. He will not withhold me from you. But he rapes her anyways. (laughs) After Amnon rapes Tamar, the text says that he was seized with a very great loathing for her. And he says to her, get out. But she says to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other you did to me. 
So Amnon calls a servant and says, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. The servant kicks her out and she tears her clothes and puts ashes on her head and cries, signaling she's mourning. Which, can I just say, like, I love how challenging she is. Like, this Mm -hmm. is a terrifying moment all around. And, you know, I I think uh, it just shows... A, a great bravery that she's standing up to him and, and saying, you know, this is not right. You're not, what you're doing is not right for me. And she suffered violence to him. And I think a lot of times survivors are not, don't have the opportunity to say stuff back to their uh, perpetrators. Yeah. Um, and I just, she is not mentioned in the text a lot, but when she is mentioned, her strength really shines. Yeah. You know, violence in the old Testament is so common and it's so, it's so frustrating. Um, And that's kind of what we get into. I mean, like that's the name, that's the title of this book, Text of Terror, because this is a terrifying situation. And it's also not unusual, you know, like. It's also not unusual in 21st century America. I know. Yeah. I mean, that's the shit thing. Yeah. It's totally the shit thing. And um. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but I just want you all to know that we're not being at all dismissive because we're going through so many of these so quickly. Yeah, we're we're kind of trying to focus on her whole her whole kind of book, and these are the four yeah. stories she talks about, and we're trying to cram them in. If this piques your interest, definitely go read the book. It's not actually it's not very long, and it's very it's it's but it's very um, it's very compact, and she really packs a punch with every word she says. Mm-hmm. So it's highly readable, highly re-readable, and worth your time. For sure, for sure. So, anyways, back to this particular story. So. Uh, after she's like thrown out, he's disgusted with her. She's thrown out. Um, her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. And can we just have a moment for the layers of bullshit patriarchy involved in this statement, right? Because he's like, dude, fucking chill out. Be quiet and chill out. Don't take this to heart. Um, I, I can't. I can't with the, the dismissiveness of that. Mm-hmm. I can't with the... Um, oh, it just makes me... It makes me angry. And, and like part of why it makes me angry is because that narrative is clearly... Has clearly stuck around. You know, like... Oh, yeah. It's, it doesn't seem like a coincidence to me that this, this story is in a book that has been very formative for Western countries, Western civilization. Yeah, I can verify that as a therapist. I feel like, you know, through a lot of our, the study in my school and my um, experience, it's, it's like baked into a lot of family narratives and it's it's kind of sad how much hasn't changed in 3,000 years. So. Yeah. Anyways, I'll step down off my soapbox. <laughs> I, I will follow you down off the soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's, so anyways, Tamar stays at Absalom, her full biological brother. She stays at his house and her dad, King David, gets angry about Amnon raping her, but won't, but he won't do anything about it because he's a fucking chicken shit. So two years later, Absalom, 
Absalom has his servants kill Amnon when he's drunk. The, then Absalom flees, and a war eventually ensues between son and father, uh, King David. So to recap, we have incest, rape, and then a war between dudes. So violence begets violence, and there is no justice for Tamar. Remember, Absalom told her to be quiet and don't take it to heart, and then he sits on his own simmering violence for two years, making this way more about his anger against Amnon than anything that Tamar felt at all, right? Um, and there's, so there's literally no justice for Tamar. And as Phyllis Tribble notes on page 55 of Text of Terror, the beautiful uh, virgin encircled, as she's described in uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 2, has become the raped sister isolated in chapter 13. Uh, verse 22. So she's like originally sort of exalted in her virginity and then she's just thrust to the side after this. So it's just, it's really horrific because um, there's just so many layers to that, right? Her worth being wrapped up in her virginity as one, two, um, her worth being taken away by rape, Um, three, her dismissal after the rape, by her brother um and then the other brother dismissing her feelings um and then after dismissing his feelings making it about him and starting a war it's just so many layers of bullshit and, oh and i completely left out the fact that dad just was like yeah i'll talk to him about it but i'm gonna let him get away with it i know right and i mean like all of that and again we're like back to that virgin whore dichotomy Yes. You know what I mean? It's just like, come on, you guys. Do better. Do better. Hey, knock, knock. (laughs) Who's there? 53% of white women voted for Trump. (laughs) (laughs) That's not funny. (laughs) That's deeply sad. It's deeply sad. I just, I said, it's going to be my soapbox, and I'm not getting off it. I just want to do better. He, we have a president who is per, like, he is a perpetrator. And so I just, yeah. I like, I'm very angry doing this and knowing that so much has not changed in three millennia. And so I have to just be like, ladies, let's all get together on the same page on this. Like, it's not funny because it's true. It's funny in that, like, if you don't laugh, you'll cry kind of way. Yes. Um, yep. Anyways, next, next story, because we're not done yet. So... This last one is arguably the toughest to tackle in terms of the extent of the violence. This is another unnamed woman. Uh, and in Judges 19, this was before there were kings in Israel, or there was this man in one of the 12 tribes of Israel um, who was a Levite, and he takes his concubine. So, like, I, I want to caveat here. You guys probably already know, but in that time... There were men very commonly had a wife or multiple wives and then also concubines, which were basically their harem. So uh, 12 tribes of Israel, a Levite, he takes his concubine from Bethlehem to Judah. Um, She got mad at him. And so she goes to stay with her father for four months. He, this this man of the tribe of Israel, uh, this Levite guy, um, he goes after her to win her back. And the concubine's father is happy to see him. So he stays there for about five days and then takes the concubine with him. 
so a servant wants to stop in a city of the Jebusites, the Jebusites. But the man says no, and that we will not turn aside into a city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel. We'll go on to Gibeah. Come, let us try to reach, reach one of these places and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. So what happens is dude has like a side piece. She gets mad at him and goes to stay with her father. He goes to get her back. He gets her back. And on the way back to his home, another one of his servants is like, hey, let's go, let's go stay at this in this city. And he's like, hard past. They're not one of us. Let's go to a place that's part of the 12, tribe of it, 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. And that's uh, Gibeah, right? Yeah. Um, okay. And I want to just, if you're still hanging on with us and are like, okay, I've made it to the very end of my rope on the trigger warnings. This next story is the most gruesome. I've ordered it from like, in terms of graphic content. Um, this is the most uh, gruesome part of it. So you may want to uh, skip because this uh, involves rape uh, and extreme violence. So, but if you are, um, we're really going to try to handle this responsibly, but it is rough. So they go to Gibeah, which belongs to the tribe of Benjamin. And at first, no one offers to house them. But finally, an old man comes along and offers to house them. And while they are in the old man's house, the text states, the men of the city, a perverse lot, surrounded the house and started pounding on the door. They said to the old man, the master of the house, quote, bring out the man who came into your house so that we may have intercourse with him. And the man, the master of the house, went to them and said to them, no, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man is my guest, do not do this vile thing. Here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out to you. Ravish them and do whatever you want to them, but against this man do no such vile thing. But the men would not listen to him, so the man seized his concubine and put her out to them. They wantonly raped her and abused her all through the night until morning, and as the dawn began to break, they let her go. As morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door to the man's house where her master was until it was light. And in the morning, he finds the concubine laying at the door of the house with her hand on the threshold. Get up, he said to her. We are going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey and the man set out for home. When he'd gotten home, he entered his house. Then he took a knife and grasping his concubine, he cut her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent each piece of her to each tribe of Israel. Then he commanded the men whom he sent, saying, Thus shall you say to all the Israelites, Has such a thing ever happened since the day that the Israelites came upon the land of Egypt until this day? Consider it, take counsel, and speak out. Yeah. Um, and let's get Phyllis Tribble's take. Uh, she states on page 83 of Texts of Terror that entrusted to uh, Israelite men, the story of the concubine justifies the expansion of violence against women. Here she talks about the response where Jibish uh, Gilead is attacked. All the men and children are killed and 400 virgins are given to the tribe of Benjamin. But these are not enough to satiate their lust. So the men of Israel sanction the abduction of 200 young women as they come out to dance in the yearly festival of Yahweh uh, in chapter 21, verse 23. In total, the rape of one has become the rape of 600. 
That's oh, awful. Yeah, I mean, like, what what do we do with this? You know, like, what do we do with these texts? Um, <sighs> yeah, I, it's, I feel like we all just, like, need to take a, just a deep breath. Like, this is just a lot. It's a, it's, I think most people probably don't even know this is in the Bible. Like, it's, mm-hmm. uh, and if you, if you did, you'd probably not want it, you know, just laying around for your kids to look at. So it's, it's a lot. Um, so let's kind of talk about historically this text. It's, it's horrifying. It's traditionally been interpreted as having to deal with hospitality, offering it to the guests, and then a violation when townspeople demand rape of guests. It, it, it unfortunately, in some ways, uh, so this is kind of supposed to make the tribe of Benjamin look awful because that's where they're located. Uh, a lot of conservatives tend to distort it, unfortunately, as saying something defamatory about the gay community, which has no basis in reality, as this is quoted later in scripture, clearly inferring that in the Israelite community, this was considered, had something to do with hospitality customs of the time. So it has nothing to do with, um, you know... Sexual preference? Sexual preference. This is all about, well, I think it has way more to do with the worth of a man being the worth being worth more than women at the time and way less to do with sexuality. So men were worth more than women. And so in that situation, the hospitality custom would have been, let's throw the women out to, to, to be raped. Uh, so I think the concubine was thrown out and not the virgin daughter. So I'm guessing that the concubine would have been the least worthy mm-hmm. because she was not a virgin. And then probably the virgin would be next. Like there's no there's no positive spin on this. This just sucks all around. It's it's awful. But if you're gonna try to spin this as saying something negative about the the gay community, then you're just a piece of shit. So I mean, it's very clear that women consistently have a lower status than men throughout the Old Testament. I mean, like they are collateral essentially. Yeah, I thought that. But also, uh, Phyllis Tribble, who was critical, of, highly critical of these texts um, as, she, as she's writing her book, she shared an anecdote in class. I took her for an Old Testament theology class in um, uh, Wake Forest School of Divinity. And she shared that um, she had delivered a talk about this text once. And a woman came up to her and said that uh, something very similar had actually happened to her, a gang rape and a mutilation and this woman had found it healing just to hear her story told um, in such a, I guess, a prestigious book, right? Like a holy book. So Dr. Tribble was kind of like on the fence about it. And she talked about how shocked she was about this response because she was kind of like, throw it out. Like, this is kind of awful, right? Um, but it made her rethink eradicating the stories. Um Okay, so here's here's where I fall. I think eradicating them would be disingenuous to the patriarchal context. Like if we just erase the worst parts of the text, uh, like so so we're taking out like let's let, if we're giving it a grade, right? This is definitely an F because it sucks. The still sexist parts might not look so bad, like the parts that are like a C or a D, and we may not be able to be as critical or question them as much. So I want to, them to stay so that very much in the Jewish tradition of like questioning and asking and being critical, we can question them and wrestle them. 
you know, it's, it's going to be like there, there was very patriarchal, very sexist. So we need to definitely look at it through this lens. And I think we neuter it in a way, if we take out some of this stuff and say, it, it can almost be a license for the, the, the text that you give like a C or a D on sexism to be like, well, that's not too bad. You know, I don't know. Does that make sense? And it totally, it totally makes sense. Um, and you're right. Like, I don't think it's doing anybody any good to ignore these texts. Um, I do truthfully think that the church largely does make a point to ignore these texts because they're so problematic. Um, But I think that we're doing ourselves a disservice to do that. But as far as these texts themselves, like I'm just not sure what to, what to do with them. So when I was looking up articles, I sort of kind of started stumbling upon something that, how do I even say this? Something that has been like, that I haven't been able to like name or like articulate, but it's been kind of like bugging me. And I think I'm kind of getting there. I'm, I think I'm starting to figure it out now. And that's that it seems that within feminist thought, when it comes to the Bible, feminists are very polarized. Like you either have feminists who just don't acknowledge it at all. Like they don't even talk about it. Or you have feminists who self-identify as Christian and they have a clear agenda in talking about the Bible. So even when they are looking at these awful, awful texts, they're still going to try to bring it around to something that is positive for Christianity, right? And I'm not sure how I feel about that because it's it's just kind of like either silence or clear agenda. And I, I mean, like, I think it, A, I think both of those reactions really, or those interactions or whatever you want to call it, they speak to the weight that the Bible still holds in Western society today, right? Like that it's so, it's so problematic that we can't quite look at it full on. I mean, I, I just, I really think that the Bible just isn't feminist and like, we can try to find that in there. We can look for those contexts. We can make those assumptions, but as long as the Bible holds the weight that it, that it currently holds, um, I don't know. I don't know how the layman is going to know those interpretations. You know what I mean? Like you have to really dig in and like tease that shit out. And on the other hand, you have feminists who are just like fully ignoring it because it's, I I mean, like, I don't know why I assume it's because it's so problematic and, or that it's kind of so, I mean, it's politically fraught and it, it holds so much weight, but also it holds a very specific stigma of like who you identify as. Does that make sense? Yes. Anyways, I'm just, I'm just so conflicted and I'm so surprised that there isn't any, that I can find anyways, any feminist thought that looks at these texts purely as fiction, like as they do with other mythological texts. I agree. I think that there is still this kind of, um, this weird sort of like, uh, I don't know what, what like a bubble maybe around it. Like it's like, it's an approachable thing. Um, and I don't know that it's doing anyone any favors. Like I know you and I probably disagree about how feminist, um, 
Jesus is. I, I tend to say that he is. Um, but as, as a feminist who is also a Christian, I don't think it does anyone any favors to, to like have people ignoring this field. Right. I, I would want more like atheist and agnostic feminists writing about this because I think iron sharpens iron and it would help all of us to be able to engage uh, more with the text and be, cause, because there might be, there might be things that like Christian feminists aren't identifying because maybe there's blind spots. Right. Um, and I, I would want that to be sort of called out because, you know, I tend to view um, atheists and agnostics as uniquely being able to kind of call truth to power because the Christian feminists are still with, within the church, even though we're reformers, I think that I I want the church to reform a lot. And I think that some of the reformers, just like in the Protestant Reformation, right? There was a Catholic Reformation that happened and a Protestant Reformation. People had to leave the church, the Catholic church, in order for the Catholic church to reform. And so I think that there has to be people on the outside calling in saying like, Hey, this is, this is fucked up. And so uh, I think we need atheist and agnostic feminists to, and and feminists of other religions who are reading the Bible to say, you know, I'm seeing this and I'm not liking it and this isn't a good thing and, and maybe we can talk about this. I would like that a lot. Um, so, hey, atheist and agnostic feminists. Do a thing. <laughs> I mean, like, I want to, again, reiterate that I don't think that the Bible should have the power it has. Um but it also does a disservice to ignore the Bible and to ignore the power that it does and has had throughout history, throughout all of Western history, um, which is why I think broken record style over here, why I think that we should re-examine the canon, break that shit up. But anyways. Sarah, I want you to make uh, like a DJ version of that, like DJ Brass Knuckles, re-examine the canon. <laughs> Um, okay. So I also want to jump on that bandwagon. I think I do also agree, um, that the Bible is elevated to a status beyond (laughs) what it should be because I don't think it's infallible and, uh, we need to really like, we need to talk about it because it's not infallible. And when you say it is infallible, then you're elevating it to deity status, which is in fact idolatry. So stop it people. Like we've got to be able to, critique it and talk about it because it's still going through human people. Um, <laughs> we, we can fuck up. Um, so yes, agree to agree, Sarah. Um, okay. So we are going to ask you a super duper favor. I want you to go to our SoundCloud and pick out your favorite episode and like retweet it or Snapchat it or Instagram it or whatever you do with you kids and your social media. I want you to share it with a friend uh, because if you like us, we want others to like us too. Um, So spread the word. What's your favorite episode and share that with a friend. Um, And if you are looking to follow us and get in our feed, um, then uh, subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher. Yes, and um, we want to give some big shout-outs, as always, to um, EngagedGaze.com, EngagedGaze.com for um, hosting 
our podcast. And of course, we love you, uh, Miss Eves, Yo Eves on uh, Twitter, uh, who has very graciously let us use her music for the intro and outro. And also, like, you guys should 100% check her out. She's such a badass. And also, um, we love you, Aaron, at Aaron Doodles on Twitter, who has designed our artwork and has really been patient and awesome and put up with a lot of nonsense from us. So thank you, everyone. We love you. And what we'll see you next time. See you next time. Follow us on Twitter at Bible Bitches and, and text us, or not text us. I'm not giving you my number, but DM us. <laughs> DM us if you have ideas for topics. Yes. Yeah, we would love to hear. Yeah, people have been actually DMing me quite regularly with topics. So. Yeah. Anything yeah. anything on um, what I should put on my Tinder profile? Unfortunately, no. Unless you <laughs> want to put the epic of Gilgamesh on your <laughs> <laughs> If I had read it and could back up that, I totally would. No, uh, David Surchuk said that we should address the Epic of Gilgamesh, and I'm all about it. Like, that's yeah. like, wouldn't that be fun? That would be fun. Yeah, for that sure. We so should fun. do that. Yeah, I love it. Okay. All right. Uh, see you all next time. All right, you guys. We love you. Love you. Bye.